Happy Father's Day. Please be sure to honor the fathers in your life, especially if they are the second in this list of people. There are two kinds of people in the world. There are mourning people and there are non-mourning people. And the mourning people just set up a little bit straighter and got a little more excited The morning people here today are ready for this sermon, ready to take notes, ready to take on the world. And the non-morning people haven't even realized that they're at church yet. Morning people, how can I say this nicely? Morning people need to chill out just a little bit in the morning because non-morning people need some time to wake up, time to adjust Time to figure out what year it is. And God help you if you are a non-morning person and you live with a morning person who likes coffee. May God help you if you are a non-morning person and you live with a morning person who loves their coffee. Here's what morning people who drink coffee look like to non-morning people. Now let me read what it says. It says, I put Red Bull in my coffee this morning instead of water, and now I can see noises. <laughs> Attention morning people who drink coffee. That's how you come across to non-morning people. Non-morning people need space in the morning. Non-morning people need space until it's not morning anymore. And here's a picture of a coffee cup that actually captures how non-morning people feel. I'll read it to you. At the top it says, shh. You get halfway down the cup and it's like, almost. And then when you get to the bottom of the coffee cup, it's, now you may speak. You have permission to speak to a non-morning person when they have reached the bottom. The bottom of their third cup of coffee. We just need some space, all you perky morning people. I'm actually a morning person, though. I like getting up early. I just want to be left alone when I do. I'm an introvert, so I need some me time before I start to interact with all of you extroverts that put Red Bull in your coffee. I wake up early excited because I get to be alone by myself. I just want to be left alone so I can drink my coffee, talk with Jesus, read my Bible, and that's all I'm asking for in life. Is that too much? But we have six kids, and you would be surprised to learn that even a 3 a.m. quiet time can be interrupted. Do you want to know what a non-morning person's favorite Bible verse is? It's Proverbs 27, 14. A loud and cheerful greeting early in the morning will be taken as a curse. If you get in a non-morning person's face too early in the morning and you're too energetic and you're too loud, they are going to take that as a curse. I don't care what you say to them. To a non-morning person, volume plus energy equals curse. Non-morning people who drink coffee are basically functioning zombies until they get their coffee. Amen? Non-morning people who have to have their coffee before they can even begin to interact with life, they basically start every morning like a zombie, just stumbling around, trying not to commit murder, trying not to eat someone. And that's exactly what the Hebrews were like. 
Spiritually speaking, the Hebrews had become non-mourning people with the gospel. They had just crawled out of bed spiritually. They, they weren't awake. They had become zombies, these slow-moving, sluggish zombies. The way a coffee person needs their coffee in order to wake up, the Hebrews needed a big cup of the gospel to wake them up again. And so our big idea today is simply this. Don't be a gospel zombie. The Hebrews were sluggish like zombies. Spiritually, they were stumbling around. They were lethargic. They were suffering from spiritual torpor. And and they needed a gospel refresher because they were in danger of gospel fatigue. They had become sluggish in the things of the gospel. And that can happen to any disciple of Jesus. That can happen to you. That can happen to me. It can happen to you and me, and my hunch is that at some point in your life, it probably has. And that's what we'll see today as we close out Hebrews chapter 5. But in order for us to understand what's happening in this section, we need to rewind back to verse 9 to keep the context in mind. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. And being made perfect, he, Jesus, became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. If we're going to understand this passage, we have to remember the context. If we're going to understand the last part of Hebrews chapter 5 and the beginning part of Hebrews chapter 6, we have to understand the context. We cannot lift these verses out of the context and try to apply them to us or to someone else unless we know the context. And Christians are notorious for doing that. Just grabbing a verse here or there and saying, this is what it means. And you're like, no, it doesn't. Read the rest of the verses. So we got to understand the context here. We have to read verse 10 before we read verse 11. So ignore that paragraph division in your Bible. I have a paragraph division in my Bible. And in bold print, in between verse 10 and verse 11, it says, warning against apostasy. That is not in the original manuscripts. There's no paragraph division in the original manuscripts. You have to ignore that paragraph division or you won't grasp what the preacher of Hebrews is saying here. You have to read verse 10 before you read and in order to understand verse 11 and then what follows after that into chapter 6. So let's read verses 10 and 11 together again. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. When the preacher says in verse 7, I mean verse 11, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you'll become dull of hearing, he's talking about Melchizedek. 
When he says that something is hard to explain to the Hebrews, he's talking about how Melchizedek, that king and priest that is mentioned in Genesis 14 and in Psalm 110, the only places mentioned in the Old Testament, he's talking about how Melchizedek is a type of Christ. He wants to explain this to the Hebrews, but it's hard to explain because they are dull of hearing. And so you could word verse 11 this way. About Melchizedek being a type of Christ, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain how Melchizedek is a type of Christ. And it's hard to explain how Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek because y'all have become dull of hearing. And so the preacher wants to explain this connection between Melchizedek and Jesus to the Hebrews, but he says, you won't get it. And the reason why is because they become dull of hearing. The preacher would love to show them how Melchizedek, just like all of the Old Testament, was a type and shadow of Christ and was pointing toward Jesus, the Redeemer. But he can't because the Hebrews are dull of hearing. He would love to explain the redemptive historical hermeneutic of the Old Testament, but they won't understand because they have become dull of hearing. And the Greek word that the preacher uses here for dull means lazy or sluggish. It's the same word that he'll use in chapter 6, verse 12, when he says, we don't want you to remain sluggish. We want you to have faith and to believe the promises of God and not stay in that state of sluggishness. The Hebrews had lost sight of all of the benefits of being in union with Jesus Christ. And so they're sluggish and they become lazy in their hearing, lazy in their listening. They're dull of hearing and they have become gospel zombies because they have started to drift away from the gospel. Think of it this way. You have a long day at work, maybe a couple of long days at work, and and one night you stay up very, very late, and you have to get up very, very early, and your alarm goes off, and you feel dead. I mean, you are so tired, and you get out of bed, and you're basically stumbling around like a zombie. You're the living dead. You're sluggish. You're slow moving. You lack energy. You lack alertness. Some of you are thinking, you just described me every morning. So you drag yourself like a zombie to the kitchen to start your coffee. And some of you might look like a zombie at this point. Let that sink in. And so you stumble to the kitchen and you're standing there half dead trying to get your coffee going and someone comes up to you and they want to talk and they want to tell you something and you're like, huh, what? I mean, it doesn't matter what they say to you. It does not register. They could tell you, someone wants to give us a million dollars. And you're like, it doesn't register. They could tell you, there is a real live zombie in our house. And if we don't get out of here, he's going to eat us. And you don't get it. It doesn't phase you. Because you're basically a zombie until you get your coffee. And so you're sluggish. You're slow moving. You lack alertness. That's exactly what the preacher means here when he says the Hebrews are dull of hearing. They've just crawled out of bed spiritually. They're basically zombies. They're half dead. And by this time in their lives, they should have had several cups of theological coffee, but they're still standing in front of the theological coffee pot, and everything that the preacher is saying to them does not register. They're like, huh? What? Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek? What are you, what are you talking about? Who's Melchizedek? What's his name? It's it's too early for theology. 
That's what it means that they're dull of hearing. And I think that the Hebrews honestly weren't that interested in seeing the connection between Melchizedek and Jesus. I don't think they were interested in hearing about how Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Why? Why weren't they interested in this? Because they weren't that interested in Jesus. They lost their interest in Jesus. They lost their interest in the gospel. They had lost their passion for seeing Jesus as the mediator of a new and better covenant. And so they're dull of hearing and they're growing tired of hearing about Jesus. Going, growing tired of hearing about the gospel all the time. Tired of hearing about the good news. Tired of hearing that Jesus is better And this is exactly why they had not grown up spiritually. And so the preacher says in verse 12, but by this time you guys ought to be teachers. You ought to be discipling people, making disciples, making disciples. You should have matured by this point and been able to discuss the deeper truths of Jesus' high priestly ministry, but you haven't. Look at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Their indifference to Jesus has made them dull of hearing. Their indifference to the things of the gospel has actually made them sluggish. They are lethargic. They have actually reversed spiritually. They were somewhat grown up in the faith, but they have stumbled and reversed backwards into some kind of spiritual infancy. Now, you can't do this physically, but you can do this spiritually, and it can happen to any one of us. You cannot do this physically, but you can spiritually. You cannot, as a grown-up human being, go back and become a baby or a toddler again. But you can spiritually. That's exactly what happened to the Hebrews. And how did this happen to them? It happened because they were indifferent to the things of the gospel. They were indifferent to Jesus. Listen, Grace, this can happen to any one of us here. And it starts when Jesus starts to become less satisfying to you. It starts when Jesus begins to fade as your treasure. It starts when you can no longer say, Jesus, you're my everything. You're my treasure, my joy, my delight. It starts when you can no longer say, as the psalmist says in Psalm 43, which was our call to worship this morning, then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. It starts when Jesus begins to fade as your exceeding joy, when he's not your joy and your treasure and your delight anymore. It starts when the gospel becomes something that you get tired of hearing about. It starts when you do not put yourself in the way of the ordinary means of grace, the preaching of God's word, the Lord's Supper and baptism and prayer. It starts when the spiritual disciplines begin to vanish from your life, when you, when you stop praying and, and you stop Bible reading and Bible meditation and Bible memorization, when those things go out the window. It starts when giving financially to your local church community begins to go out the window. It starts when serving others in your church and in your city, when that begins to go out the window. 
Listen, if you want to become a gospel zombie who just stumbles around in life and just stumbles around in the church, then all you have to do is not place a high priority of worshiping God on the Sabbath with the people of God. Not place a high priority on hearing the word of God preached week in and week out. It starts when you don't place a high priority on fellowshipping with others. Not serving others in your family, in your church, your neighborhood, your city. It starts when you don't place a high priority of giving financially to the church family that you belong to. That's how it happens. That's how it begins. And spiritually, you'll end up like a non-morning person who stands in the kitchen and can't even communicate until they get their coffee. And when you're in that place, you can't even begin to have discussions about deep spiritual truths because you need some basic gospel milk to get you going again. That's what happened with the Hebrews They couldn't even begin to have a conversation about Jesus and Melchizedek because they were sluggish, because they were spiritual zombies. And that's why the preacher of Hebrews has spent five chapters so far going over gospel milk so that he can wake them up out of their torpor so that he can explain in depth the high priestly ministry of Jesus and the connection with Melchizedek. The Hebrews need to be taught the very basics of Christianity all over again. They came down with a mean case of gospel amnesia and they needed to review the basics all over again. And that's what the preacher means when he says in verse 12, the basic principles of the oracles of God. They need to go over the basics of the gospel, the basics of God's word. They need to take Christianity 101 all over again. And that's exactly what the first five chapters of Hebrews are. The preacher has been rehearsing the gospel, rehearsing the basic principles of the oracles of God for five chapters now. And the imagery that the preacher uses here to describe the basics of Christianity is milk. The Hebrews needed spiritual milk, not solid food. They needed six chapters of milk. The first six chapters of Hebrews, that's the milk that he's talking about. They needed six chapters of milk before they could even begin to take in the solid food of chapter 7 and what follows. The milk and the basic principles and the elementary doctrine of Christ are found in Hebrews chapter 1 through verse 6. And then the meat and the solid food is found in Hebrews chapter 7 all the way to verse 13. And he still sprinkles gospel milk along the way in chapter 7 through 13. But he spent six chapters of going over gospel milk for them. And like a baby has to start with milk and work its way up to solids. So too the Hebrews needed milk. They had to go back to the bottle because they couldn't handle solids because they had actually reversed spiritually. And so basically the preacher is calling them spiritual babies. And this is a rebuke. Don't miss that. He's saying they need to go back to wearing spiritual diapers and taking a a bottle because they've become so dull of hearing. They need the basics all over again. 
this is a rebuke. The Hebrews are still in diapers and they should have been grown up by now. In other words, they're being spiritually childish. They need to grow up. They need to wake up. The preacher is essentially saying this to the Hebrews. Right now, y'all need milk. Y'all need me to go over the basics of the gospel. You need me to review Christianity 101 in the first six chapters of this letter. You need me to give you a bottle and go over repentance and faith and baptism and the laying on of hands and resurrection and eternal judgment. I want to talk about Melchizedek and Jesus, but y'all can't handle it. In short, he's saying to them, don't be a gospel zombie. Don't become sluggish. Don't become half awake. The Hebrews really are spiritual zombies at this point. They're not awake, and so they're not ready to discuss the deep truth about Jesus being our high priest. And this whole letter so far has been all about Jesus being our high priest. Seven times already the preacher has mentioned this. Seven times already he's talked about Jesus being our high priest. Listen to how he has focused on Jesus being our high priest so far in his letter. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, he says this, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Then in Hebrews 3, 1, he says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. In chapter 4, verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. And again, the next verse later, Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Then beginning in Hebrews 5.1, talking about the high priest in the Old Testament, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And then he connects that to Jesus in Hebrews 5.5. 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And then finally Hebrews 5.10, which we've already read and which the, Hebrew, the preacher of Hebrews will continue to say in this letter as we progress, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The pastor of Hebrews has been priming the pump throughout his sermon here so that he can talk about Melchizedek and Jesus, but he can't get there yet because he has to go over the basics. And he's been going over the basics this whole time. Chapters 1 through 6 are the basics that he's been going over. But he's not saying that we should leave these basics behind. Please don't misunderstand the preacher here. He's not saying that we leave milk behind and we never use it again because that would be ridiculous. In fact, he continues to sprinkle the milk of the gospel in chapter 7 all the way to 13. So to say that we leave the milk of the gospel behind is ridiculous. To say that we never think about the milk of the gospel because we have advanced 
to the meat is ridiculous. We need to go over the basics of the gospel all the time. I had to go over the basics of the gospel when I stumbled out of bed this morning. I had to say to God, thank you for your son Jesus who lived the perfect life for me because I have not been able to pull it off. Thank you that he died in my place because I deserve that. I had to rehearse the good news this morning to myself. We never leave the milk of the gospel behind. Tell me, how many of you are willing to leave Romans 8.1 behind? There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the milk of the gospel. I need that every day. How many of you are willing to leave 1 John 1.9 behind? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the milk of the gospel. We never leave that behind. And isn't the milk of the gospel what you share at the beginning when you're telling someone about Jesus? You can come to Jesus. He loves you. He'll forgive you of your sins. How many of you, when you're sharing the gospel, say, Jesus loves you. Now let me tell you how he's a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Nobody does that. We start with the basics, but we never leave those basics behind, which is why we always say around here at Grace that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to preach gospel milk to ourselves. We need to rehearse the gospel. We need to rehearse gospel milk. We never leave it behind. Remember what the preacher said in chapter 2, verse 1? Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. That's the gospel. We're called to pay even closer attention to the gospel, closer to atten- attention to what we have heard God the Father say about his son, Jesus. So when the preacher says that the Hebrews need to move on from milk to meat, he means that they should have grown up by now so that they could handle talking about Jesus and Melchizedek. They should be able to see that connection now, but they're sluggish. So he's been going over the basics of the gospel this whole time in his letter. He's been going over milk for five chapters, and he'll continue into chapter 6 so that he can finally get onto the meat in chapter 7. The meat of how Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, but he can't do it just yet because they are sluggish. They become spiritual zombies. But then, notice the preacher explains why it's not good to stay in this sluggish, zombie-like, non-mourning person state. He explains they need to move on to deeper spiritual truths. Look at Hebrews chapter 5 beginning in verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The Hebrews are still on the bottle because they've become unskilled in the word of righteousness. They still don't get the gospel. And the proof of that is that they're trying through their own efforts to earn God's favor. They think that their obedience to the law will give them the righteousness that they need to stand in God's presence. And so they have become dull of hearing and they have forgotten that righteousness is credited by God to sinners based on Jesus' work and not ours. So they are unskilled in the word of righteousness. 
That's the gospel. The word of righteousness is the gospel. The good news that sinners are declared righteous and imputed or credited with the righteousness of Jesus. This alien, foreign righteousness that we could never ever come up with on our own. We are declared or imputed and credited with that righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus through his perfect obedience to the law. And because the Hebrews want to return to the Old Testament law to be justified, because they're tempted to return to the types and shadows in the Old Testament, because they're tempted to return to Moses, they are then proving that they are indeed unskilled in the word of righteousness, unskilled in the gospel. They still just don't grasp it. And so by this time in their lives, the Hebrews should have grown up and become teachers. They should be discipling people. They should have grown up and been eating the solid meat of God's word so that they could, as verse 14 says, have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. But they're baby Christians. They should be able to distinguish good from evil at this point, but they can't. They lack discernment because they're functioning as spiritual zombies. They can't discern good from evil. They're gospel zombies who need a wake-up call. The preacher of Hebrews were here today, he would say to us, don't be a gospel zombie. And so let me ask you today, if you can be honest with yourself, are you a gospel zombie like the Hebrews right now? Do you need a wake-up call? Spiritually, are you like a non-morning person who stands in front of their coffee maker Unable to have a conversation with anyone because you're not awake yet? Is that you today? Listen, I don't want that for any of you. I don't want that for me. And so how do we get out of that torpor? How do we get out of that lethargic state? The answer is the same way that the Hebrews were being lifted out of that spiritual funk. The answer is the gospel. We get out of that spiritual funk by hearing about Jesus. And so hear the gospel again and wake up, pay attention, closer attention to what you've heard before. Listen as I tell you about your high priest Jesus and what he has done for you and all the benefits that are yours because you are in union with him. So I'm just gonna take a cue from the preacher of Hebrews here. This is how he's getting them out of their spiritual funk. This is how you can get out of your spiritual funk by listening to what he says about Jesus, your high priest. Listen, Christian. Hebrews 1, 2 through 4. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. In other words, Jesus paid it all. He made purification of sins possible, cleansing of sin possible. Hebrews 2.9, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, 
crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In our place he stood condemned. In our place he died for our sin and rebellion. He took the curse of the law that should land upon us, upon himself, on the cross. He tasted death for us. He experienced the perversion of death, of having his spirit, his soul, ripped apart from his body for three days for us. Hebrews 2, 16 through 18. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That's us, by the way. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He has turned aside God's anger at our sin. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then Hebrews 5, 9, and 10, which we've read several times already. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. That's your high priest, Christian. Let him melt your heart today. He's merciful. He doesn't give you what you clearly deserve. And he's gracious. He gives you what you don't deserve. And he loves you. And he cares for you and what you are going through and what's happening to you in your life. And he loves sinners. And there is more mercy in him than sin in you. Let that pull you out of the spiritual funk that you are in this morning. All you have to do is call on him. As Psalm 43 says, send out your light and truth. Let them lead me to your holy hill and then I will go to the altar of God to God my exceeding joy. Cry out today, God, send out your light because I'm stumbling around in the dark, tripping all over the place. Send out your light. I need some light. Send out your truth because I've bought the lies of the enemy. I've bought the lies of my own indwelling sin. Send out your truth. Then, when the gospel comes, the light and the truth of the gospel comes, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We do pray that this morning along with the psalmist. Send out your light and your truth right now. The light and truth of the gospel. 
And let it lead us to your holy hill, to your dwelling. And then we will go to the altar of God. To God, our exceeding joy. Would you become our exceeding joy this morning? Father, there are people here who are in a spiritual funk. They're stumbling around. They reverse spiritually. And they need the milk of the gospel and more of it so that they can grow. Would you come and be merciful to them this morning? Would you come and be gracious to them? Help them to see the beauty of your son, to be captivated by him so that he would become their treasure. He would become their exceeding joy. Would you do that for all of us this morning? For your glory and for our joy, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.